Rabbis Ephraim Goldberg, Philip Moskowitz, and Josh Brody from Boca Raton Synagogue schmooze about contemporary issues. Every week features an unscripted, lively discussion, special guests, and a behind-the-scenes look at leading a large and dynamic Jewish community. Welcome to Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by Marvell Joseph, an APAC student activist, to discuss his love of Israel and his special relationship with the Jewish community. Marvell then shares his personal experience as an African-American when race is at the forefront of the national conversation. Also, the rabbis continue the conversation, sharing personal thoughts on race relations in the Jewish community. And how do the rabbis prepare for the summer and beyond in a time when nothing is certain? All this and more, Behind the Bima. And we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Behind the Bima. I believe this is, I believe my microphone's way too tall. I believe this is episode number 10, gentlemen. Hard to believe. Episode number 10 of Behind the Bima. I'm your host, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, joined with our esteemed panelists, Rabbi Philip Moskowitz and Rabbi Josh Brody. And we are here tonight to take you behind Behind the Bima. Bima. Welcome back. Thank you for being with us. It always means so much to have our trusted audience. And as always, we welcome you to share your thoughts, your questions, your challenges in the chat on Zoom or in the comments on Facebook. We welcome your uh, feedback and your input. So thanks for being with us tonight. Gentlemen, we got an exciting night tonight. We got a lot to talk about, a lot talking about as the pandemic continues to unfold. Obviously, a lot to talk about in the world around us, across the sweeping across the nation. Uh, we've got a very special guest. We've got a raffle. We've got a sponsor to thank. We've got a lot going on, and there's no one I'd rather be spending tonight with than the two of you. So thanks for being here. Thanks for being together. We allowed thanks to us. Thank you for that. <laughs> Overwhelming. We're under strict. How do we start off? Thanks for reciprocating that uh, love right there. That was really special. Strict instructions. Special Don't moment. say anything. Let's start off with our L'chaim because we're here another week. Things are continuing to open up. Please, God, everyone should remain healthy. Minyanim should continue to grow. Amen. I'd like to make a L'chaim. L'chaim, L'chaim. Soros, tell us good news. Amen. I echo the L'chaim, and I add, we should live in a time of peace, prosperity, equality, justice for all, mutual respect, love. We should be very, very blessed. L'chaim, L'chaim. We got water okay. tonight. Okay. Switch your setting to your mic from your AirPods. Our, our fact checker. Our fact checker is uh, filling us in. We want to thank our sponsor for tonight, Avi Ganuth, our good friend. And wedryus.com which is a coronavirus sanitizing and decontaminating commercial and residential. And there's no better time to sanitize and to uh, decontaminize uh, your space. Trust We Dry USA. They're experienced infectious disease sanitation. No residue, no formula, limited downtime. Great company. You can get in touch with them at wedryus.com. Wedryus.com. There's a 24-hour emergency service. If you're concerned about your home and who's coming to it, you have a public space that you want to make sure is uh, kept properly and well. Avi is the man, a great man. There's a lot of uh, benefits of using them. Call him, reach out. He's going to help you. You can reach him at 855-WEDRY24. 855-WE-DRY-24. Avi, thank you for your sponsorship. WeDryUS.com. Sanitize, decontaminize, and uh, basically make your place spick and span and clean. Thank you so, so much. So what's going on with you guys? What's new in your lives? Busy week. Phil, you go first. Uh, You posted a video today that went viral, Rabbi Brody. Why don't you tell everyone about that? 
They were, we just the got video? the wedding video. I don't know what took this guy so long in Israel. It's not like he had any other f- weddings to film. <laughs> it took him about four months for the uh, five-minute clip, but it was great. But listen, it was we had Shavuot, Shavuos this past week. A lot of action. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting times. Shavuos was amazing. She can't I see did, my microphone. Uh, I'm not as credible. I got to put the mic back up. Okay, sorry. <laughs> now it's very much there. Shavuos was interesting. Outdoor minyanim. Yeah. Um, I don't know in your developments, but here in the muse, it was beautiful, magnificent. Um, there's something, as Rabbi Goldberg wrote about last week, there's something beautiful about davening with the birds chirping and the sun rising. It was, uh, it was really magnificent. It was also nice community bonding. You know, you haven't had that in a really long time, but to come together as a community and to be able to daven with each other, there was something really beautiful about it, especially you haven't experienced that in a long time. That's incredible. Hey, we had a little bit of learning also. There was one point at 11 o'clock at night, everyone said, you know, it's 10 guys, not a lot of people. And Donna, she came out, you know, uh, let's just get out, get those uh, chairs, little lawn chairs, 15 feet apart from each other. Everyone gave 15 minutes of a little Devar Torah until about 1 a.m. in the morning. It was really nice. So I'll tell you, for me, and it, it was really different because, you know, Rabbi Goldberg and, and Rabbi Brody, we're, we're also used to giving Shirim on Shavuos night. Right. This was very different, right? I mean, for me, it was really about learning with my children. It was learning with myself. And it was a very, very different experience. I don't know if you guys felt that also. It was totally different. I mean, the truth is, I keep describing this dichotomy that we're in, where in many ways, we're working harder than ever, and there's more pressure and stress and difficult decisions and uh, a lot of burden to bear. So in many ways, more than ever. And in other ways, it's the, the Shabbos and Yantav, the times that normally we don't get to fully be present and fully experience in its richness, we have that opportunity. So you're right, not running to give shiurim or make that next minion and being able to really um, invest ourselves in our own study and learning and be with our family. It's, it's a special time. I've never looked forward or enjoyed or appreciated Shabbos the way I do these days. Well, it's definitely. Did you find did you find in your developments and and with the minyanim? And I know that we have friends watching around the country, and some are a little bit ahead of us in opening up, some are a little behind us in opening up. And I'm asked by a lot of our colleagues: Are people being compliant? Are people following? What What do you think? What did you say? Well, in terms of I, distance, everyone was compliant. I mean, 15 feet apart. There's nothing happening when you're 15 feet from each other. One part of the day for Shachus, we were in front of a big house so that there was no uh, uh, sun. It was, you know, the shade was bl- blocked by, you know, being produced by the uh, house. Right. The other part of the day, we moved to the other side to be blocked on the other side. But everyone stood 15 feet apart. It was great. Yeah, yeah by us All too. It was that. amazing. We, we pre-marked it out. We took little cones, marked it out eight feet apart before Yantif. Everyone right. came with masks. Everyone was socially distanced. People were really well-behaved for the most part. Um, and, you know, every, every now and then you had a guy who showed up without a mask and you'd look at him and he'd say, and he'd go, oh, you know, and he'd run home quickly and, and grab his mask. But it wasn't, nothing was malicious. People were really, really compliant. And I think everyone wanted to make everyone else feel comfortable. I agree. I, I think it's, um, I saw that too. And I saw that if anyone forgot a mask, they, they kept extra distance, stayed in the back. People were respectful. Nobody was trying to prove a point. And, and even though there are very diverse views on this, and I don't want to spend too much time because I think people join us Wednesday nights to escape uh, COVID and coronavirus and, and to get some uh, hopefully entertaining and insightful uh, conversation. Uh, but I, I also saw for the most part compliance and that continues to make me proud. And, and I think we have a great community and I think that's what's happening around a lot. It's just, it's a time of great confusion. I um, I wrote my article today about exactly that, the, the torture and the acute pain and ache of of the death of uncertainty. There's nothing we know. We, we had a call the other day. We started to try to plan Rosh Hashanah. And here's how that conversation goes. Can we see 2,000 people, 200, or two people? 
Will we have money? Can we pay the bills? How many chazanam? Will people hear shofar? Will we be indoors? Will we be outdoors? Will there be a spike? Will there be a second? There's just, there's nothing you can know. The most basic things that we took for granted and that we would plan and execute and prepare and anticipate, it just, it's gone. I don't, is it gone forever? Is it gone for now? But how do we adjust and how do we recalibrate and how do we, how do we really learn to live a new life and lifestyle? Are you guys going on vacation this summer? Are you taking vacation? And if you are, where are you going? And how are you getting there? And what does a vacation look like? And what's left when you come back? There's just the things that we took for granted. We, we don't know anything. It's painful. I'll tell I you the one thing someone... that's, that's guaranteed is that even if we were on vacation, wherever we are, there's going to be behind the Bema because we could do it from anywhere. <laughs> that might be the only thing that's guaranteed. Yeah, Rabbi Brody, what, what are you packing that microphone in that's coming with you wherever you're going? <laughs> I have to get one of those trailers and attach it to the car. It's very possible. first. That would be the first time you'd ever check luggage. It's bigger than you are. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't take too much. You might have to take more than a backpack if you go then. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Are you guys feeling that that pain and 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 you know the quandary, the the discomfort and the unfamiliarity of of just not knowing? Like we are we're executives. We plan, we execute, we prepare, we anticipate, we predict. By now, I mean talk to everybody. By now, we would have had our planning meetings. Describe yeah, what those I was going to say that. Like. I was going to say that. We, we normally, for a month already, we usually meet at the beginning of May as a staff. About 10 of us get together. Two days, two and a half days, we go off campus. And we literally break down every aspect of the community. We break down it by demographic, older, younger. We break it down by every different type of way you could break down the demographic of our community. We do it and we analyze how are we doing servicing them? What could we be doing better next year? It's a chance for us to dream big, dream out of the box, challenge each other about what's been working and what, what could we be doing better? And, and, and we were commenting at a staff meeting last week. How could you do that now? We're going to start booking speakers for next year. We're going to start booking programs. Could people travel? Are they going to travel from Israel? Are they going to travel from America? Are our classes going to be on Zoom? Are our classes going yeah. to be live? We have no clue. And for people like me and you guys who <laughs> love planning in advance, we're like, it's this just is not totally normal, our, right? Yeah. We, we low yeah. off of calendars and planning and predicting. You know, thank God we're very blessed and have zero complaints about it, but we're trying to make a simcha and you have no idea outdoors, indoors, how many people, what it look like. Can people travel to it? So, you know, and God forbid a person is, is, is fearful they're going to lose a loved one. Can they properly mourn and grieve? And what does life look like? And all that's been put on hold. And, and there may be something he- healthy to it, which is that the thought that, that we were in control or that anything was certain might have been illusion all along. We were never in control, and you can never be certain of anything. Rabbi Moskowitz, you know that maybe better than anyone on this on this call. You woke up one day, and your life changed forever. So I don't mean to get personal with you. I didn't ask you if that was okay, but I'm just saying, you know. So this is this is of you know hitting a broader audience, but basically the whole world has learned what you learned that day, which is when you go to sleep that night, don't necessarily expect when you wake up the next morning everything's going to be the same. Yeah, and you know what the the problem is? We're very rational people. And we like that illusion of control. You know, they have uh, a lot of studies about, you ever go to the walk sign, you push the button and you think that it's going to turn the light or you ever go into an elevator and you push the button and you think it's going to make the elevator door close faster. It's a, it's a lot of it as an illusion. It's an illusion of control. And they do that to you on purpose because they want to trick your mind into making you believe that you're controlling when the crosswalk is going to go. And more often than not, mm. it does absolutely nothing. Is and it even really connected? Meta- you have to keep pushing it. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what else. A lot of times when you go into the hotel room and you lower the air conditioner and you're like, why isn't it getting cooler in here? They cap how much it can change. They just It feels good to push the buttons because it makes us feel like we're in control, but we're really not. And I'm going to get one of those from my house. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but I always viewed that as an illusion, as a, as a, as a, as a, you know, symbolic of our lives. We're pushing the buttons. We're going through the motions. Hashem gives us obviously a lot of autonomy, but at the end of the day, a lot of it's an illusion of control. And we have to, as you say, let go, let God, we have to ultimately recognize whose hands we are ultimately in. I'll tell you a big thing that's still up in the air right now are these summer camps. Huge. You know, the big, the big uh, Orthodox yeah, no camps idea. have yet to announce. We don't know. A lot of camps are open, called it some off. are now open, some are closing, some are reopening. Even the local well, day camps, it's not clear what's all happening with all that. You got day camps and you got sleepaway camps and parents can't plan and kids can't anticipate. And then you're filled with the angst and the worry of if they can't go to camp, what fills their time, what fills their day. So you got the whole camp situation. And then I'll tell you, just to give insight to people, again, not looking for sympathy, but you know, we're going behind the bima. That's, that's what we do here is... Uh, I mean, rabbis, how many texts a day are we going back and forth? How many Zooms are we hosting that yeah. says, okay, what should we do? Do we allow laning? No laning. Neighborhood minyanum laning? Only the shul laning. Only laning when it's three aliyahs or even when it's seven aliyahs. What should laning look like? So just to take that simple question. And what are the factors? Well, there's the factor of how many people handle the Torah. And if you get called up, how many people touch the Torah and are, are too close to each other? Then you got the factor of the cover, the respect for the Torah. You know, if it's coming out of the, the shul, our own is different than if it's in the neighborhood and in someone's house. And then you got a third factor, which is, you know, if you're not from South Florida, you don't know what it's like outside right now. Aside from the oppressive heat and humidity, we've got rain there's like literally like a drizzle there's there's water vapors in the air you want to you want to open a torah a fine torah the most sacred object that we have other than the human life and 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 worry about the impact of of the weather on the torah so you got president every day we're getting text there's the text that's like don't even think about a torah you guys have gone too far even having minion you're irresponsible then there's a hundred texts someone else is doing the torah reading why aren't you what's the explanation i have my own torah my neighbor has a torah my brother my dog has a torah the boy that wants to read the torah and then the bar mitzvah boy, right? Don't want to punish a bar mitzvah boy. Spend a year preparing for this day and, and wants to read the Torah. So just take that one decision, which when you're on the other side of the desk, when you're in front of the bima, then it's kind of easy to point fingers or here's what you should do or here's what everyone's doing. Or here's why you have to do it. And then you get behind the bima and it's a lot more complicated and you feel like I don't know anything. Well, I'll just tell so people, I don't think I've known you, Rabbi Goldberg, for 10 years. I don't think I've ever seen you like I have on Erev Shavuos. When, when you and, and we, were all, we were all getting a flurry, and when I say a flurry, I mean like hundreds and hundreds of text messages. And each one, as you said, was contradictory. One person would be upset that we're doing X and the other person would be upset we're not doing more of Y and, and you can't accomplish both of them. And uh, it was really challenging to, to make these decisions. And to well, we're going to come back to that. We've got a very special guest now. Marvell, is your audio connected? Marvell. Are you here with us? Yeah, can you guys hear me? We do. Marvel, it's great yeah. to see you again. Uh, you, you know all of us, but to remind you, I'm Rabbi Goldberg and, and Rabbi Moskowitz in the white shirt and Rabbi Brody in the blue shirt. And we know Marvel because he's been to Boca Raton Synagogue. He's spoken. He's a friend. We've uh, spent time in Washington, D.C. and in Boca Raton, Florida. And we're so grateful for your time that you're with us tonight. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for being my favorite rabbi. Oh, that's the sweetest. Uh, you, you say that. You're invited sure. back. Say that, to all the ra- <laughs> say that to all the rabbis, by the way, Marvel. I heard you say that to everybody. But listen, Hi. <laughs> Let, let's give up. You're ready to run for office. You could be a politician. Oh, wow. Let's, 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 let's take it one step at a time. Uh, one step at a time. Oh, that so, means he's running. <laughs> Marvel <laughs> just. Non denial uh, denial. Exactly. <laughs> let's fill everybody in. Marvel, you went to uh, high school in Boynton Beach, local here in South Florida. Just graduated. Congratulations, Mazel Tov. Uh, Marvel Joseph of. Did you grow up in Boynton Beach? I grew up in Boynton. Um, I went to primary school the majority of my years in Boca. So I'm on the middle grad. 
Um, I went to West Boca for my first two years and graduated from Boynton High. Um, right. Went to FSU, but I miss South Florida so much. I came back and uh, graduated from FAU. Well, really, con- congratulations, Mazel Tov on it. It's a, it's a great accomplishment, and we know it's a tough time to be graduating. I saw on Facebook you posted some graduation pictures, but they were virtual because there is no real in person, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a different time because um, especially when you work so hard for this. Um, my parents were a little bit more upset than I was because I didn't even want to walk to begin with. Um, but the fact that like when the moment comes and you actually can't walk, then you're a little bit more upset and you're like, oh, well, I guess it, it is real that I can't walk. Right. So. It's hard. You got, you got a lot to absorb. A lot, a, lot, a lot going on, a lot you and others are dealing with, and, and we want to talk about that a little bit and get behind the beam and behind the scenes a little bit on some of these topics tonight. And uh, we really appreciate you being here. So just to give some people a little bit more perspective on, on your background, I mean, it's worth going on YouTube. And, and Marvell did, uh, was an APAC a student activist and was featured, really told his story, and it was produced in a way that only APAC can. APAC is fantastic. And we all here on this uh, screen tonight and so many people watching love and cherish and appreciate and, and, and know that no matter what's going on and how hard we're hurt, we still need APAC to support the U.S.-Israel relationship. But tell everybody a little bit about how you got involved, right? Your, your background and where your family's from and, and your educational system, it, it wouldn't necessarily lend itself to the fact that you would be an APAC student adv- activist. You've been to Israel. You love Israel. And I'm going to spoiler alert, just fast forward to what you're doing next. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you're going to work for the Maccabi Task Force. And the Maccabi Task Force which was created in 2015, exists, listen, to combat the spread of anti-Semitism on America's college campuses, to stop BDS. It, it's, not, it's not a given. Not only is it not a given, it's a huge leap that that's what you're doing upon graduating. So tell us what drives that. How'd you get involved and where's this passion from? And before you even tell us, let me just say thank you. We are so blessed and we are so grateful for your your devotion, your enthusiasm, your loyalty, your leadership. And uh, I'm not just saying that because you're here. I say it when you're not here. And everyone who knows you says it about you. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, I, I really got involved with a student activist from APAC. Um, I guess for my story, um, if you can tell by that flag right there, um, I'm Haitian. So for me, my story starts with my ancestors. Um, it's a story that I tell all the time, but it's actually the the driving force of why I do. Um, growing up in Boca Raton, most of my friends are Jewish growing up, so I used to go to a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs. So when you when you're talking about that that year long that the bar mitzvah boy is preparing, yeah, like I had all my friends that prepared for their bar mitzvah, um, so I understand the pain that they went through. Um, but yeah, so for me, I I started um, in school, and then in 2010. Uh, the earthquake in Haiti happened and it was such a devastating time for my family because we have members of our family that are still in Haiti. Um, mm. But the the thing that I always say is that despite the distance between Israel and Haiti being more than 12 hours away, Israel happened to be one of the first countries that was there providing support. Um, so when you remember who your friends are and you remember why your friends are needed, that was the biggest thing. And the reason I called Haiti and Israel friends is because during World War II, Haiti opened up its doors uh, to Jewish refugees looking for asylum. Um, in fact, when I actually went to Haiti last year, I remember this was actually a week before policy conference 2019. I was in Haiti and everywhere I went, I saw Israeli flags and I was so confused wow. because I was like, why are these things here? And it's the first time that I actually got to see the impact that Israel had in Haiti. 
Um, I think more importantly for me, now it's the opportunity for me, as you mentioned, working for the, uh, for the Maccabee Task Force. Now I have the opportunity to share my story with other people so that they can make their connection to Israel. So that when they talk about oh, why, why should I support Israel? It shouldn't be the same reason that I support Israel, but it should be a genuine and original story that helps them see the love and the beauty of Israel and its people. Amazing. What was it? Tell us about your trip to Israel. I'll let you guys ask in a second, but tell us about your trip to Israel. What, what were your impressions when you first saw Israel? What stood out? What did you take away with you? What was your favorite place or favorite experience? Well, so I've been to Israel uh, four times in the past two years. Um, Amazing. I just need my bar mitzvah there, and then I think it's all set. Uh, <laughs> I, it was my first time going to Israel was um, May of 2018. I actually went with APAC. Um, and I don't even know where to start. Um, probably one of the most beautiful countries I've ever visited. Um, and as a Christian, I think it was such an eye opening experience to actually getting to be in a place that like, my religion is based in. Um, Obviously, I can't connect as as deeply as you know the Jewish people can with the land, but to see the Via Dolorosa and to see Jerusalem and to be all in different places um, in Israel that I read about for so long was such an impactful experience. Um, even though I'm young, my favorite city is Jerusalem by far. Like there's That's nothing great. like Jerusalem. Everyone loves Tel Aviv, but I, I'm a huge Jerusalem guy. You have an old soul. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Marvel, let me ask you a question. You, you mentioned the, the 2010 earthquake in Haiti. You saw Israel's presence there. You were inspired by the, by the friendship that Israel displayed, and, and you decided you want to reciprocate that. Um, my guess is you're not the only person who saw, who saw that. You're not the only person who saw Israel on the ground there. You're not the only one who saw the hospital set up. You're, you're not the only one who's witnessed Israel's kindness around the world, and yet not everyone reacts the way that you did. Um, what do you think cause that within you? And what would your advice be to other people who see Israel's, um, you know, giving around the world, Israel helping countries around the world, and don't necessarily get off the couch and say, you know what, if Israel did this for my country, I should do something to reciprocate that, that love and affection back to them. What, what would your message be to people to inspire them? Well, I think for me, the, the biggest thing about that is that it wasn't just what they did for my country, it's what they did for my family. Um, like my cousins were actually in the earthquake and they could tell me firsthand that they saw Israeli IDF soldiers walking through Haiti, helping the people. Um, so for a lot of people that are looking for a way to get involved or to find their purpose in the fight for Israel, it has to be personal because I'm, I'm only one of the millions of Haitians that exist in the world. But I remember I have a personal story that I align with, which has made me probably, I guess in my eyes, a bigger supporter of Israel than I would have ever even imagined. Um, and it's because of the friendships that I've also built from APAC, from my local community, you know, being able to go to BRS, even though I'm not Jewish and have friends such as you rabbis and people like Sammy Dweck, and of course, Jill and Ted Deutsch and all the other friends that I have in the Jewish community in South Florida has made it where it's more of a friendship than it is just doing work. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I, I saw you when you spoke at the Hillel at FAU's gala dinner this year. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but he was the, the featured speaker. He blew <laughs> everyone away with his story. But I'm just wondering, are you getting a lot of pushback from your friends saying, you know, 
listen, there's another cause you should be devoting your attention to. There's other issues. Why, why are you dealing so much with Israel? Um, I think I wouldn't say it's pushback. I think it's a lot of questioning as to um, like, why are you doing this? Um, but when I, whenever I explain to people my story and how both communities help each other, a lot of people turn their questioning into how can I get involved too? Um, I think with my work for the Maccabee Task Force, um, my main focus now is building coalitions between the Jewish community and the non-Jewish community. Um, obviously for me specifically with the black community of the United States. So we just led a trip back in December of 40 black students to Israel from all around the nation. Um, so now these students came back and there was no longer a question of, oh, why do you support Israel? It was, wow, I found my reason in supporting Israel now too. Maybe I should too. Um, I'll never forget, there was one story that I resonate, that resonated with me a lot. And it was a woman who attended an all girls uh, college. Um, and she wrote to me after we left the Hadassah Women's Hospital, um, an extended paragraph about how the beauty of Hadassah reminded her of the importance of women empowerment in the United States and how even though she wanted to be a teacher, that was the most inspiring thing. No matter what schools we went to and the teachers that we spoke with, the fact that she saw women in Israel doing and being movers and shakers inside the Israeli community, that to her was the most impactful thing. That's amazing. You know, we're going we're gonna to try to transition now to uh, another very sensitive and difficult topic of the day. But first, I want to just reiterate our our thanks to you. I mean, the fact that you're, you're really dedicated your time uh, at a young age, a lot of your friends and a lot of your peers are out there departing, they're having a good time. Maybe you're doing that too. Uh, but but the <laughs> fact that you, you you take so seriously our well-being and our homeland and our safety on college campuses um, and you stand up for us. And I'm sure it's not always easy to do that. I know that it's not easy for you to do that. And there literally are no words for us to express our gratitude to you for that, for what you did in your college years and for what you're about to do. Um, instead of uh, setting out on, on some other profession that likely would be much more uh, rewarding in a material way, but you're doing it in a way that really benefits us. And by us, I mean all of us, us and you, us, our communities, and us, our, our nation, us, the U.S.-Israel relationship, and there are no words to thank you. But before, before we move over, um, how do you feel about the fact that policy conference has been canceled? A uh, huge bummer. Um, it's my one year to go meet everyone, um, especially to call out all my congressmen who haven't been supporting things that they need to support. Um, so I, it's a huge bummer, huge blow, but I, I used to intern for APAC, so I understand how important this summer is for preparing for policy conference. So I saw it coming. Um, I don't have inside information, but I saw it coming, mainly because of the fact that just with the uncertainty of, will there be a second wave? As you guys mentioned, like, can we do Rosh Hashanah services? If there's a second wave and we're out, you know, the economy shuts down again, it's just going to be impossible to right. put on that massive of a program and a conference. So I'm hurt, but, you know, it gives me another year to save up some money and go, go bigger the next year. There you go. I'll tell you, it's actually one of the great miracles of this whole episode is that there were 18,000 of us of, of you know every every diverse background but packed into that conference center and it had already been spreading and we know that there were people who were at policy who had it and the fact that there weren't many more who got it and and casualties from it is is in many ways no less than a miracle i was looking yeah. forward this year to getting those press passes 
No, now that we're <laughs> those behind, behind the BMO, behind the BMO, <laughs> behind the BMO. All right, so we, you know, we want to move over, Marvel, to a, a difficult topic, and 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 firstly to express our collective um, support, love, sympathy, concern, commitment. Um, this is not, you know, just as you stated that that the Jewish or the Israel issue is is not a Jewish issue, and and. Racism and the way that African American, the Black community, is treated, uh, injustice, inequality, is not a Black issue. It's all of our. It's a human issue, mm-hmm. and that's something that that's near and dear to us. We can be proud that historically Jews and Jewish leaders have stood with Black leaders um, through civil rights, and and it's our responsibility. This is our generation's opportunity to do it again, and and so we want to make that statement very clearly that it's intolerable, it's unacceptable, and it, we have to rid it from from the way that we speak, think, uh, treat, um, police. Uh, justice system, every segment of of society, this has to be a commitment. And it took a tragedy, a terrible tragedy, another terrible tragedy, put it on the on the forefront of of the national conversation. But but in that conversation, uh, that's where we stand, and, and our heart and our thoughts are are with you, and with, they're with all Americans. This is this is a problem for all of us, and something that we need to solve. And and you know, Marvell and I were in touch earlier today that he's comfortable having this conversation. Obviously, we wouldn't have it um, without that. But um, you you wrote a post on Facebook the other day. Um, and you you introduced it. You said, I debated for a long time whether I wanted to speak out. And I would love to know why did you debate and what was the hesitation? What were you worried about? Ultimately, you chose to and you did so, as you always do, eloquently and articulately. Um, and you described what it's like to be a black man in the United States, immigrant parents, having to work harder than white counterparts and everything that you did. Always need to be mindful of your skin color and it could be viewed as a threat. Um, even even impacting what you've been doing during this uh, quarantine and and not being able to go outside or exercise the way others because you're concerned of of what that what what that could bring. So you know, give us just give us some insight into what the debate was for speaking out, why you chose to in the end, and obviously then a little bit more about about your experience during this time. Hmm. So I think um, the reason I started out with I, why I debated was because it's the truth. Um, I, I really sat watching the news and. When I like started crafting that post, the, my biggest question is, how are people going to receive this? How are, are gonna people going to look at this and say, Marvell wants to incite violence? Or are people going to look at this and say, okay, Marvell's speaking from his point of view. So my debate was more of a, how are people going to receive this? And how much energy am I going to have to put in into explaining myself on the, like, after the fact? Um, in hindsight, I still probably would have debated as much because I think it's important that everything that we say either resonates with people or provides some form of change. Um, so the reason that I decided to go ahead and post it was because I believe that if you don't stand for anything and if you don't express what is bothering you, then your friends that you've made through allyships like these, they'll never know how they can actually help. And I knew that I had a platform of hundreds of Jewish friends that I've met through APAC or through ADL or through even Maccabee Task Force um, and any other pro-Israel organization that I've met where I said, look, I understand, although I may not experience it, I understand what it's like when an anti-Semitic attack happens because the way the way you guys said it's articulated it to me. I want you to understand what it's like being a black man in America, and I'm going to articulate it to you. Um, so that's that's why I went ahead and uh, put out that post. Didn't expect it to get as much um, like buzz as it did, because I'll be honest, if I saw a post that long on my timeline, I'd be like, All right, uh, <laughs> I'll read this later. Um, so I, I'm really, really thankful at the support that I had and the fact that 
people saw past a a black or white issue or even a um a republican and democratic issue and they saw they saw it for what it is it's calling out of injustices and calling out of racism more than anything listen it took a lot of courage to do it and you did it and you did it well and that's why people read it no matter how long it was and you know i was very moved when you described them there that when you drive from tallahassee to south florida you put on a suit because your mm. logic was they can't say i'm dressed like a thug and that's why they feared for their life um I'll, I'll be honest with you, right? And, and, and we have a, a little bit of a friendship and a history, so there's a comfort to be honest. We grew up, these three rabbis, we grew up relatively insular and insulated. And, and we didn't have friendships across diversity. And I didn't grow up with, with black friends. You grew up with a lot of Jewish friends here in Boca Raton. I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey. And uh, I played Little League in a non-Jewish league and we overlapped and we were teammates and we had friendships, but they were just in the Little League. They didn't, they didn't go beyond that. Um, and, and I could tell you that I don't, I, not I don't think, I know, I know that I didn't and maybe I still don't fully appreciate what it means to live life through your eyes. And, and that description of, of having to carefully choose what you wear while you're driving in case you were to be pulled over and the impression someone would have, that illustration is so eye-opening. It's so important to keep articulating that because that gives us some of that, some of that insight. Um, so so give, us, give us more of that right now and then I'll let my colleagues ask questions. But you know, tell us more of... Um, have you personally experienced racism? What are some of the other considerations you have to make on a regular basis that, that others don't even begin to appreciate that we need to fix and repair? I think um, to answer your final question, um, your second question about have I ever experienced racism? Yeah, I think the first thing is that racism comes in different forms. It's no longer just someone calling you an N-word and chasing you down the street with a bat. Um, it's a lot more covert. Um, growing up, I didn't realize how much of a an effect this had on me. But a lot of times I would hear people say, wow, you're so eloquent for a black person. You know, when comparison, when comparing me to like a, a figure, you know, it was always, oh, wow, you, you speak like Martin Luther King. You know, it was never like you could do this by yourself. It was, oh, you're so, and it doesn't help that I'm six foot five, you know? So I remember being at FSU um, and there was a, obviously there was a program actually called the CARE program, which helped first-generation college students get into college. Um, and the majority of the students that were in that program were um, African-American and Latino. Um, and I remember like white counterparts asking me, hey, like, so are you in the CARE program? And I'd be like, no. And I'd be like, are you an athlete? No. So how'd you get here? You know, and it was things like that that you don't realize have an effect on you until, you know, they continue to pile up. Um, my dress, like the way that I've dressed has changed a lot since 2012, mainly because I used to dress for comfort, like growing up, just wanted to be comfortable. I'm an athlete. Like your body is hurting most of the time, most of the day. Um, I had to go dressing for comfort to dressing for safety. You know, like I understood that there was a certain way that I could dress that quote, wouldn't strike any fear in people. Um, it's funny when I, when I wrote that post, um, one of my friends actually texted me saying, I know how uncomfortable you must have been on that long drive because your suits are always so tight. Um, but that was that. But that's the reality that a lot of my friends had to deal with, too. Like when we drove home, there were certain cities that we just wouldn't dare stop in, no matter how little gas we had and no matter how bad we needed to use the bathroom, just because we were scared of the fact that people in that city might not like us. Hmm. That's wow. incredible. Marvell, I just want to, I want to reiterate also my profound thank you to you for your friendship and really your honesty and your eloquence. 
um, in explaining an issue that, as Rabbi Goldberg said, um, no matter how much we think we can understand it, we really can't. Um, I saw some statistics today in the newspaper, which blew my mind away, about incarceration of the African-American community and the long-term psychological impact that has on young African-Americans. And um, again, growing up in a very insulated culture, um, it was a complete shock to me. After reading your post, um, I actually thought about a personal story that happened to me a few years ago. And um, I saw it in a totally different light. A few years ago, I was coming back to my house. It's a long story. I won't get into it now. But um, it was late, dark at night. I didn't have a license on me. I was coming home from the synagogue. Um, and there were two police officers out my, outside my house. And there was a whole diff- miscommunication about why they were at my house. But needless to say, um, things escalated a little bit quicker than I would have liked to. And uh, I reflected upon it after reading your post. And I said to myself, you know what? I never appreciated it at the time. But perhaps if I'd looked a little bit different and dressed a little bit different, that situation would have ended very differently for me. And, and I guess I, I never appreciated that for, for you, um, that's how you live all the time. And those are the types of experiences that you're having regularly and the impact that that has on you. So I really want to thank you for sensitizing us and educating us for how we can help your community and how we could be more empathetic ourselves. I'll just say, Marvell, I grew up in a community. It wasn't that, that uh, we didn't see people of color. I grew up in Cape Town. I grew up in South Africa. So what you mentioned people driving down the street. You saw them maybe in a car driving. They weren't even, you know, a black person wasn't allowed to drive in a car. So that was a very different experience, obviously. But I'm just wondering, you look at the Jewish community now as a leader of our community. Do you say there's things that the Jewish community could be doing better in this uh, I think Yeah, I think the biggest thing is using, as Rabbi Goldberg said at the beginning of this, like using this as an opportunity to be the reenactment of Abraham Heschel, Rabbi Abraham Heschel and Dr. Martin Luther King. Like this is our chance to to reenact that picture, to reenact that moment of saying for historical like years, the African, the African American community has stood by the black, the Jewish community. Well, the Jewish community has stood by the African American community. This is our next chance that we have to do this. Um, and it starts one with educating ourselves, um, just educating and having conversations like these where we explain what black people go through. Cause it's no, no longer are the years where many of us are scared of being, like I said, many, many of us are not scared of being called an N word anymore. Mainly, mainly because that's not what new racism is anymore. It's the small things. It's the things like not making it home on your way home from work. It's the things like getting pulled over in the wrong neighborhood. Um, but I also think that Israel is probably the best blueprint for a situation like this. Um, the things that we can learn from Israel, especially with the way that they deal with social justice um, with the Ethiopian Jewish community, are things that we can take from there and bring here. Um, I have a lot of friends in the Ethiopian Jewish community that are huge civil rights activists in Israel. And they stand in solidarity with us because they're like, oh, we understand and we fight uh, probably just as hard as you guys do here for an issue that we both deal with. So I, I think the biggest thing right now is just that we need to educate ourselves, educate what's going on in the nation that we live in, of the United States, but also looking back at Israel, which is the, the homeland of, of the Jewish people and a, a country that is still going through a lot of um, civil, civil injustices right now itself. 
Can you give some examples of, of what you've learned from the Ethiopian community in Israel and how Israel's worked to um, integrate them into society and how you've kind of adapted that to your work here in America? Well, I think the biggest thing um, that happened was the, and no matter where you view him on politics, was the, um, the response of Bibi Netanyahu after the killing of Solomon Tekka, who immediately took that idea of soldier or officer um, and reprimanded him right away. That is something that Black Americans wish could happen in a country like this, where once the injustice happens, that officer or that soldier immediately is put in trouble and put under investigation. Um, also, it's probably the rhetoric. Um, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Israel tends to have a very, very high um, voter turnout um, in many of their elections. Am I, am I right? Yeah. Like I, from what I've read, like a lot of times the, the communities in Israel get out and vote. Obviously, it helps that you guys have like 80,000 political parties, but um, people <laughs> still get out and vote. Um, and things like that are things that I think the Ethiopian Jewish community can teach the black community. And my goal is to get those communities to start working together because, as Martin Luther King said, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Yeah, there's no question. And it was actually refreshing and reassuring to see today that more of the other policemen um, are being investigated or were arrested or were, were, were fired. And uh, definitely that's something that's refreshing. And, and you're starting to see that. I think I saw that even locally here in South Florida, that there were some um, police who were were um, were at a rally and, and said some derogatory things and there were consequences for them. And, I, and from what I'm hearing from you, that's one of the things that we can be doing also is for demanding consequences and accountability, that it can't be same old, same old, and that you can't get away with using a derogatory name or label or mistreating or, or an injustice. And, and even if even the segment of society that's not um, committing the injustice but tolerating the injustice. You know, Elie Wiesel spoke a lot about that, that silence and the accomplice of being silent. And, and if we are complicit through silence by tolerating um, those kind of comments or those kind of behaviors, then, then that's something that we need our own self-reflection and, and repentance for and that we need to improve. And, and this is, it, it's a tragedy that it took this and it took what's going on in the country at large. And we could talk about more than just, you know, the peaceful rallies and the important conversations, but some of the other tragic uh, distractions happening from them but it's, it's, it's sad that it took that for these conversations, uh, but hopefully we, we walk away from it and we're all better. And, and, and I know that we three rabbis and, and we stand for our Bokertone Synagogue community, which you know, you know well, and the, the friends that you mentioned and many others are really committed to try to work on this, to understand it better, which is where it begins. To, to know you, our friend, and not even to have known what the thought process that goes through your mind in choosing your wardrobe or in, or in driving and where you stop and, and the kind of things you have to think about that we never think about. And that alone, that alone is something that needs to be repaired and needs to be fixed and we're committed to doing it and we thank you for your leadership. Are there, are there black leaders in our area that you think would be good for us to be introduced to, to work together, to build relationships with that we don't know of? Well, I think um, it starts kind of like on the uh, uh, state level. Um, there's a few, obviously, the mayor of Palm Beach right now is um, Mac Bernard, uh, Commissioner Bernard, who has been a very staunch supporter of um, this movement that's going on right now because he's a black man, too. Uh, he understands the, the injustices that have been done to our community. Um, so Mac Bernard's one that I would definitely uh, shout out. Also, Senator Bobby Powell, who is more North Palm Beach but still as a black man understands those things. And then of course, the, the local church leaders, um, the, the leaders of black congregants, um, they probably go through this 
every day, you know, with members of their community and members of their congregation going through as, um, uh, in discrimination acts and things like that. So um, we got, you know, we've got our homework to do and you just graduated. So the last thing I want to do is give you homework, <laughs> but, but we can, I hope we can count on you. And I know we can to make some of those introductions mm-hmm. and to Absolutely. convene. And it's sad that we can't do it together and break bread in the old uh, fashioned way, at least for now, okay. but we can do it virtually to continue those conversations and what we can do and uh, what we can do to make the world a better place. You know, you, you've been doing it for, for our community. You've been doing it for Israel. You're committed to keep doing it. And, and we are, and, and neither of us, because it's, uh, you know, convenient, neither of us, because it's transactional, both of us, because it's right. It's the right thing to do. And we're going to, we're going to do it. You have any closing thoughts you want to leave our, we got a great audience on zoom on Facebook, YouTube mm-hmm. podcasts are going to be listened to it. Thank God. We've gotten some great traction through behind the Bima. Um, any, any last thoughts you want to leave us with? Um, mainly just education is key. Um, knowledge is power in a situation like these. Obviously, conversations like these are important, but they, that can't be the end-all, be-all. My experience as a Black man in America may be similar to other Black people here, but it's not the same. Um, it's not identical. Um, there are people that grew up in the Deep South in places like North Florida or South Alabama and South Georgia that they didn't have the ability to grow up in a diverse place such as South Florida. Like, I think a lot of times we take South Florida for granted because of the diversity that it has. Like, my cousins that grew up um, in hours south of Tampa never got any Jewish holidays off. And every Rosh Hashanah, which falls around my birthday, I was always off. So it's the fact that um, many people around the nation don't have the same background as us makes us understand that we need to start educating ourselves on the various backgrounds that make up our great country. And once we can start educating ourselves, then can we start working towards undoing the years of injustice and undoing the years of um, of, uh, of inequities that have stained the souls of many people within this country. But thank you guys so much for Absolutely. having me. And thank you for... Marvell, thank you. You're a great friend. And thanks for all that Marvel, you're doing. It's great you. to have you on. And we're going to have you on again, as we know that there are great things to come. And uh, when you're ready to make the announcement that you're running for office, are you willing to commit right now that you, when you announce you're running for office, you will do it on Behind the Bema? Exclusive. Hey, so, uh, I, I commit to it. I will, I will let you know. Oh, first. wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you saw <laughs> wow. it. You heard it here. We can't wait to have you back and uh, to be able to celebrate that. So thank you again. Marvell, I'll also tell you, Try wearing that suit for an entire Sabbath, <laughs> 24 hours straight. <laughs> Thank you guys. So Got to get a loose, looser suit. Yeah, Have a great night. Stay well. safe. Stay Thank healthy. Do well. Have a good one. Fantastic. What a guy. Wow. Gentlemen, that was phenomenal. Amazing. Really important conversation. And um, I'll tell you, really you know, important. one of the things that's nice, and we can't take credit for it, none of the three of us can, is... You know, if, if we wanted to try to have that conversation and we had to first go find someone and build a relationship, say, hi, nice to, I'd like to introduce myself. Would you come on? It'd be a very different conversation. It'd be a very hard one. You know, part of the reason, yeah, that, part of the reason the beauty of that is that we know Marvell and he's been to our shul and we've spent time in Washington. And, uh, and, and so we're able to have the, the importance of building those relationships is really, really important. Right. And that's the whole APAC model. The whole APAC model is don't wait for times of crisis to start building up your friends, but you, you build up a cadre of friends so that when crisis hits, you have people like Marvell to call upon to both help educate you and to, uh, to align yourself with. Yeah. So another big shout out to Marvell and thank you to him and, you know, find him on Facebook, like that post and comment on how much you appreciate it. And also a uh, big shout out again to APAC because APAC's the one who made that introduction as they do so many others and they help build our, our relationships and they help build that community. We really, really appreciate that. I want to continue so this modest. conversation. Oh, well, let, yeah. yeah let, let me ask you guys a question, you know, cause he drew a comparison, uh, 
Uh, See, okay. now we can all know they're up. Good night. Say goodnight to everybody. Tamima yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Goldberg. All right. You undid so your... Uh, the one says he pushes his kids around. around. There you no, go. You know, one of the interesting... See if I get an email tomorrow telling yeah, me exactly. I'm a decent person. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you guys a question. We've all been to Israel many times. I know Rabbi, Go- Rabbi Brody, you and I are involved with the Israel Overseas Committee here at Federation. Um, right. The way he describes the similarities between the Ethiopian Jewish community in Israel and the African-American community here in, in America... Um, were you guys as sensitive to that as perhaps we could have been? When you go to Israel, are you as sensitive to some of the challenges that the Ethiopian community has in terms of integration, in terms of um, racism, in terms of feeling excluded? I'll tell you, I'll tell you for me, um, I wasn't until I went on the LaFell Fellowship Program of APAC where we actually went and we saw some underprivileged communities and some of the struggles of the Ethiopian population in particular. And that totally, and we met some Ethiopian leaders and it totally, totally opened my eyes. And again, I know this is not an infomercial they didn't sponsor. Our friend Avi Ganuth did and uh, we thank him. We dryus.com, we dryus.com. Uh, but but they, it's great. I'll tell you the common theme of both of those issues. And it, it's really, you know, we don't have that much time left already, already. Time flies when you're having important conversations. Two hours. two hours. We got to start moving it over to two hours. Um, I think Sal just had a heart attack, but we'll start moving it two hours. Two sponsors, <laughs> double the sponsorship we'll bring in. But anyway, and we still have to do a raffle drawing. Got to do a raffle drawing. The common theme of both, and this is an important conversation, is we grew up somewhat insulated, and and I think from a Jewish Torah perspective, there's a lot of value and merit to that, right? Because let's just talk about the levels of assimilation, intermarriage, the disintegration of the Jewish people, the concern about a Jewish future. So there's got to be this happy medium. And that's, that's where I think our community tries to find its, its balance is between preserving our values, our ideals, our ideology, our culture in such a way that we, we're not fearful that our children are going to assimilate. And yet we're also not so fearful to learn about the bigger world and to develop relationships and to care about. And I think maybe we need to do a little bit better. You know, I've had conversations within my own family, my children who are growing up insulated as, as I did, maybe even more. Um, and my kids are wonderful. They don't have a, a hateful bone in their body. But if you don't know and you haven't met and you haven't heard what Marvell just told us, then you can't identify with and you can't understand. And if you don't, if you don't keep an eye and educate yourself about what the Ethiopian population or Israel going through, then how are you meant to know it? Of course, you're not going to know it. So how do we find that balance? between preserving our values and, and not opening up too much that there's nothing left. And on the other hand, also making sure we're informed, we're educated, um, and, and we're sensitizing people to the issues that are out there. You know, and I part of feel like that's the, the challenge in America culture nowadays, right? America has become so binary, right? You're a Democrat, you're a Republican, you're right, you're wrong. Everything has become such polar opposites and extremes and that that's exactly one of the challenges that we in America have to do just to broaden out the conversation a little bit, is to allow ourselves the vulnerability of understanding new perspectives and seeing other sides of an issue without necessarily feeling that as a threat to our values. I'll share with you personally, um, my son asked me when we were coming on tonight, he said, who are you having on? What guest? So I said, we're having on Marvell. He goes, you know, he, who's that? So you know, I, I kind of, I didn't want to go there. My son's young. I didn't know if I could have that conversation with him. And so I kind of like mumbled under my breath and said, don't worry, you'll go to sleep. And it was actually to my wife's credit that she said, no, let's, let's have this conversation right now. You know, why are you having on Marvell? What does it mean that the Jewish community has friends in the African-American community? Why is that so beneficial to Israel? What are some of the challenges American culture is going through? Um, and it was a real teachable moment for my child. And I agree. I think we need to do more of that. Let me pose a question to you and make this a little bit uncomfortable for us, but a conversation that we need to have, right? That's Marvell just gave us a charge to have this conversation and it's easier to have without him, but I think we have, we have to have it. Do you think there is systemic or embedded 
racism or, or racist undertones within the Jewish community, the Orthodox Jewish Absolutely. community? Absolutely. Have you heard derogatory That's, name calling and, would, and references? I would say more in the Orthodox community than in the other more liberal communities. No question. You think there's more? Yeah. You hear it all the time. Jokes. You know, again, they're jokes, but they're not. There's, there's a, yes, I don't. I'll, I'll, I'll qualify that, that a little bit. So are actually friends with African Americans. Right, so I'll qualify in the community. I'll qualify Robert Brody's comment a little bit. Um, I, I don't think it's malicious. I think Jews more than anyone. Certainly, I hope. I would hope, as as you yourself wrote in your post, Rabbi Goldberg, Jews more than anyone knows what it feels like to be persecuted, to be outcast, to be judged based on um, externalities, whether it's religion or whether it's the color of your skin. But I do think it comes back to our previous conversation, which is if you're uneducated, and I don't mean uneducated, and you went to Harvard. I mean if you if you simply don't have that other perspective to rely upon, you're not going to be able to be sensitive to it. And and I'm sure you and I have heard comments. You know, even as he was talking about how someone said, you know, you're very eloquent for a black person. I'm sure you thought in your mind, oh, I hear that all the time as a Jew, right? In other words, as as a rabbi or as a Jewish person, why do you need that qualification? So I don't think it's malicious within our community. Um, I think it's there because specifically, as you articulated, Rabbi Goldberg, because of the insularity of our Jewish community. And until we feel comfortable and build those relationships to allow ourselves to understand that other perspective, it's going to be very hard to fully understand where they're coming from. I, I agree. I think it's a little bit more complicated. And I definitely, you know, probably, you know, Reverend Broder, you were quick to answer that in terms of the Orthodox versus the others. You're probably right. I'm not denying it. And I agree with Rabbi Moskowitz's analysis that um, because the other the other denominations are much more integrated, more likely go to public school and secular college and develop those relationships and friendships. Although I do think that there is probably plenty of superiority and, and racist undertones in, in that segment of the community as well. I don't think it's language is exclusive, let's say, to the Orthodox. But what I think complicates the conversation, and this is not an excuse, um, it, it, we're past the point of excuses and ignorance is not an excuse either. I think what complicates the conversation is that for, for much of our history, the Jewish people saw the other as a threat. And that wasn't our choice. That was the, th- that was the choice of the other, right? So the non-Jew, our host countries, the governments under which we lived, the oppression, the persecution, the pogroms, the mistreatment, the ghettos, the discrimination against us. So embedded literally almost in our DNA, it, t- it, was, it was put in there for generations and generations, this notion of the other. Um, and the other comes in a lot of forms, and there are segments of the Jewish community that still see anyone non-Jewish positioned as the other. So, you know, I'll give an example, and I think a lot of this breaks down to um, where your parents are from, right? So, so I'm, my, I'm a fourth generation born in New Jersey. I broke that streak with my kids born in Florida, my oldest born in Israel, but I was the fourth generation born in the state of New Jersey patriotic American, red, white, and blue, um, Elizabeth, New Jersey, Josh Brody, Rabbi Brody. So, right, Thanksgiving for us was a yuntif. We wore Shabbos clothing, is a yuntif. Um, and, and I got to tell you, when I was growing up, if somebody would say something about the Goyim, even if it was in the context of a Dvar Torah, the Goyim, my mother would literally like recoil and correct the person. So I still do. If I hear somebody talk about the Goyim, I, I just, even if they don't intend it to be derogatory, but the way it positions us, them, hierarchy, superiority, it makes me grossly, grossly uncomfortable. But I think I know others that um, are born from survivor families or Europeans or, or people who experienced their own discrimination, the worst in all of history, and almost embedded in their psyche and in their vernacular and in their mentality is this notion that the only way we survive is never get fooled or tricked into thinking that the other is safe place for you. Now, that's a broad conversation about 
about the non-Jews altogether, not specifically um, the black community, the African-American community. But my, my only point in this is that it's probably embedded for generations and it might take generations to extract or purge, but, but that the responsibility is on us to get that going and get that conversation started. And what do you think that we could or should be doing? You're at a Shabbos table, Yontif table. Maybe one day we'll be able to share a table with someone else safely again. You're at a table or you, someone's texting you something and they, they make a derogatory comment or use a, a word or a Yiddish expression or name. Do you speak up? Do you stop them? Do you say, I know you don't mean it this way, but we probably should be more careful about how we're speaking. How do you, how do you encourage our audience to have the courage to, to do what, what they need to actually make a difference. The Torah gives us that courage. Rabbi Gower, you gave a drasha a few years ago that, that can easily be applied to this. You were talking about Lashon Hara at your Shabbos table. And you were talking about how uncomfortable it is that when you hear a Lashon Hara at the Shabbos table, it's very simple. You shut it down, right? It, shut you, it down. You shut it down. You can't hear it. And, no it matter, and by the way, and for months afterwards, people at Shabbos tables, when Lashon Hara would be spoken, they had the courage to say, I'm shutting this down. I'm not tolerating this level of discourse right, at my Shabbos right. table. So I think that, you know, part of our education is that it's not just Lashon Hara. It's, it's, it's bigotry. It's hatred. It, it, it's jokes that we think are innocuous, but we just heard from Marvell are, are very hurtful and, and create a, an undertone in a community which, which, are, which is dangerous altogether. So I, I think it, it, it falls on leaders like us to speak out about that and to give people the courage to use terminology like shut it down. We're not going to tolerate those types of jokes and that those types of comments. Um, I will say I'm getting beaten up a little bit on on Facebook um, about the demographics and about um, how older Jews versus younger Jews. But again, I think it, it's the same issue. Even older Jews, people I know, we visit older people who sometimes speak in a certain way. It's it's, it's not hatred. It's not malicious. It's it's ignorance. It's an ignorance. It's an old way of of speaking. But there's it's people who have not it's, a well, bad bone in their back- body. Yeah, it goes back to what I was saying also is, you know, for some of the people, listen, ignorance is malicious because you've allowed yourself to be ignorant and it's inexcusable because somebody who had certain bias, discriminatory notions against the Jews, we wouldn't excuse it by saying they don't mean it's not malicious. We'd say that's your responsibility. I wrote an article calling out LeBron when he reposted a a lyric of a song, which was anti-Semitic. And even though I don't think LeBron's, let me make it clear. I don't think LeBron's anti, he's welcome to come on behind the Bema. We got an opening for him, but uh, I don't think he's an anti-Semite, but, but I thought ignorance was not an excuse. And if that's the standard we hold others to, then that's the standard we have to hold ourselves to. But I think what, what you're trying to say again was that for some people, they're not consciously choosing to, to, to be racist. It's embedded in this, in this psyche. And somebody texted me privately right now uh, who's not Orthodox, and I'm not trying to excuse the Orthodox, and I'm not trying to bring down the Reform and Conservative with us. I'm just saying that if you had European parents, grandparents, there's a good chance that there's a healthy dose of racism. I don't really care whether you're under the Orthodox banner or not. I don't know that it breaks down denominationally. Maybe it's more in the Orthodox community, um, probably is more, but I think a lot of it has to do with your background and your family's experience for centuries and millennia. Again, with all non-Jews, not, not particularly only, only the, uh, the black community. See, someone else or just very- commented, we don't see anyone reach for an understanding when their Jews hurt, attacked or hurt, do we? Do you agree with that? Do you agree that when there's mean? an anti-Semitic and incident around the world, people don't try to educate themselves, learn and understand more about the Jewish community and how to fight anti-Semitism. Yeah, but who cares? You know, at the end of the day, you do no, what's they, right. And if they we're do. doing something that's not right, then we have to do better. I'm not sure. I think our dear friends and allies do. I think they do. they do. I think that, uh, yes, I think I think someone like Marvell, if something happened, would be out there trying to, look, he's, what is he doing after college? He's not going to law school or medical school. He's going to work to stop anti-Semitism on college campuses. So, you know, again, 
more tough for president. But the point is, he's doing that, and and we have our our responsibility and and what we can do in this in this fight. And the fight's not about the black community, African American community. The fight is about equality, justice, how we speak, and and just to be very clear, as Orthodox, I, I've never said that before because I hate when other people do that. As an Orthodox rabbi, I literally have never done that before, and I'm not going to do it now. I'm not doing it now. I, I don't like that. So I'm just going to say this: for us, fighting and standing up against racism is not like less from; it's super from. We hate the word from also, meaning the Torah is very clear: Chaviv Adam Every every human being is in the divine image, and the more religious you are the more of a sensitivity and an intolerance you should have for this, not the less. The more Hamish you are, the more in- religiously intense you are, the more scrupulously vigilantly observant you are. Um, it, it shouldn't be that you're more casual with this. It should be that you're more strict with what comes out of your mouth it's, and the language that we use. That's why God told us right? already says, when we were in Egypt. He said, care, care for the, the oppressed, care for the you know people who need the your help. The foreigner. Exactly, the carver and the foreigner. Because yeah. he said, you more than anyone knows what it feels like, and therefore you have an obligation and respect responsibility to stand up and talk out about it right it's interesting if you if you if you think about most people are looking to their leaders what are their leaders doing how many relationships do they have with someone of color and you can take a look at all of our different facebook friends we each have five thousand right how many people on that list are black that's the danger of facebook it creates an echo chamber i'm just telling you it's a reality yeah yeah that just does it's all look at all the rabbis in our in our circles yeah although listen let, let's be realistic and again our audience is very diverse but it's unlikely that our audience is going to hang up tonight and like go out and develop new especially with the limitations that we have major new friendships I, I think it begins in more subtle very very careful ways just sensitizing ourselves in, in the jokes the language the names the um the terms that we use and, and really becoming uh, much more aware and holding others much more accountable in that area. Look, the the a little bit elephant in the room that we're not talking about tonight, and I don't think we should talk about tonight, although it deserves to be spoken about another time, is this conversation, this part of the conversation is critical. And I would hope nobody would debate that it's important to have, but it's been so clouded by the by the looting and rioting and ransacking and destruction of businesses and in the name of, although of course really just hijacking the name of, but in the name of this same cause. And it complicates things. And by the way, to be honest, it complicates things for us to make progress in it because it's a distraction. And it, and it, it even, right. it, it sets us backwards instead of forwards in some of the stereotypes or stigmas that people have, maybe they shouldn't have, uh, that they shouldn't have, but it sets us back in them. So it's it's a complicated component of this, and we are out of time. Well, there's so much more to talk we about. We have to do a Pretty raffle. Much, I know. We have a raffle to do. Let's let's. Any closing thoughts though on this issue? Let me just close with this. I'm not denying it may be more in the Orthodox community. I think in all segments of the community. I think it has to do with our background and our history. But I don't think it will help to try to figure out which segment of our community has it the most. I think the only thing that will help is for everyone to take responsibility and and work on it going forward. That's really the uh, that's really the goal here is to yeah. work on it going forward. And I'll just say, when we talk about education, um, education doesn't mean reading a newspaper, right? Because you can read a newspaper and, and see what you want to see and hear what you want to see and simply find facts that are going to reaffirm your uh, your belief system. I think when we talk about education, it's specific, again, when I speak about education, it's specifically challenging your notions, right? It's challenging your point of view. It's allowing yourself, again, that vulnerability to be exposed to something that you otherwise wouldn't ordinarily being exposed to. So, you know, to say that I'm going to educate myself, I'm going to go onto my Facebook feed. You're right, Rabbi Brody. Facebook, by definition, creates an echo chamber where like-minded people come together and share opinions where everyone agrees with everyone else. That's not what we talk about education. 
when I personally, and again, this is my commitment, it's really challenging. It's challenging yourself to, to understand, to see, to think through the eyes of another person. And I think Marvell helped us enormously tonight just with that example, right. dressing in a certain way to save your life. That, that's crazy to think about. It's crazy. Yeah, so, let's, so again, let, let's have very modest um, but achievable goals to make a difference and move that needle. So the likelihood that your son that you were describing is 12 years old is going to all of a sudden develop a very close black friend is, is very small. I'm not saying there'd be anything wrong with it or bad with it. I'm just saying the reality is that the likelihood is small. But what can happen and what should happen is there shouldn't be a home on Montoya Circle in the Jewish community that's not having conversations right now these days and these weeks that say, let me tell you about this guy Marvell and, and how he described what his life was like. Let me tell you others. You know, my daughter shared with me, and I don't know if they were posted somewhere, but a graduate of Yeshiva High School who is, uh, who's black, obviously has black family, um, who's Jewish, observant Jew, lives in Israel today, wrote a really, really moving article about what it was like and her father and racism and, and similar to Marvell's experiences. And, and even there, you know, I read it with a little bit more, maybe even openness while well, she's one of us, you know, she went to our school and she's really, really, she lives in Israel, she's Jewish. And, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we should just be open to that experience and learn from it. So, you know, the likelihood that there'll be enormous crossover and integration of communities um, is small. Um, and, and would be difficult and complicated, frankly, for a lot of reasons. Um, but but there is no impediment and there should be nothing holding us back from having the kind of conversations that we should be having um, to be able to to all learn and grow from this experience. And I'll just add, before before you reject an opinion, right? Before you say, oh, that's that's wrong or that's not right, pause for a second first, right? In other words, the goal is not right and wrong here. Again, in my mind, the goal is really to right. try to to empathize and to see another person's point of view before formulating your own. Right. I'll just, just want to say also, and we've shown in this community that it can be done. We've done it across the different streams, denominations of Judaism. We all came from communities. I came from a community, Elizabeth, trust me, you, you never spoke to a reformed Jew and the, the Orthodox rabbi would never have allowed a conversation. Right. But the fact that you can have, and you can hear and you can empathize with one another during some very, very difficult things. You can make, have genuine friendships. Not right. in terms of a whole community, but at least in the leadership, it's a start. Right. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. This I will say this has definitely really generated the most conversation on our chats of any A lot other of comments, a lot of feedback, a lot of comments, and we welcome it. We welcome you to come behind the Bima with us. It's really important. By the way, that, that's the goal. To, to stimulate this conversation. But before we close and say goodnight to everybody, first of all, I want to thank Avi Ganuth again of WeDryUS.com. If you need to cleanse, sterilize, sanitize, um, there's no better time than right now to need to do those things. So please take advantage. I want to thank our friends at APAC who made that introduction to Marvell. Huge thank you to Marvell for being on tonight. And before we say goodnight, we, we owe our audience a, a major raffle worth $500. Our dear friends, uh, the Struels, uh, Dovi Quinn from last week, MyPhoto.com, which I understand there was a major influx is it true that it overwhelmed the myphoto.com system? The website was almost overwhelmed after Behind the Bima? Yeah, most of it came from Ma- Rabbi Moskowitz's family. It overwhelmed <laughs> my credit card bill. <laughs> exactly. So uh, who's, who's sharing their screen? Are we doing a raffle? I got mine. I got if mine. If you shared Behind the Bima last week, you were entered into a raffle to you win a $500 give, value give me, of a, of a photo and a picture. Three give you foot by four foot you museum quality acrylic print. Just say Brody size. Acrylic print quality. <laughs> you put by four. Yeah, you want to know how big that is? Let me show you. Okay, here I just made you the host. Here. All right, here we go. Oh, gosh, where are we? Here we go. Here we go. We got our spin. All the names are on there. Make it spin, Phil. Come Make on. Make it go spin. spin. There we spin. go. And we got Wheel of Fortune. 
Nachum Braverman. Nachum Braverman. Woo! I'm so happy for Nachum. So I for nothing about a little procedure today. Should have a full slam. I'm happy. All good. That's All good. amazing. I, don't think I just added so him. I think public. So so nice for him to win tonight. We're happy for Nachum. That is great, great news. Uh, gentlemen, any th- closing thoughts? Because I understand that my photos website almost crashed after last week, and so did Charles Truitt. Almost, I heard the website almost closed after last week. <laughs> when you get mentioned on behind the bima, you know it does things. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Listen, can I just say something? Marvell is incredibly humble. He said that we brought a group to Israel. Let me tell you, it's not we. He brought a group, yeah, 40 people. He continues to bring groups. And speaking sure. of humble, the rabbis on the show are never going to tell you that right now. There's over 5,000 viewers on last week's show, but I'm going to be the one to tell you. So you want to sponsor? Call us. Now's the time because sponsorship is going up, by the way. So the more viewers, yeah, the more sponsorship up. goes up. Um, no, but you can listen. Listen, if you're listening now, thank you so much for being with us. You could watch on Facebook. You could join Zoom. You could watch it on YouTube. And we also, thanks to the generosity of a dear, dear friend of ours, I don't have permission to mention his name, who uh, sponsored us to be able to be organized as a podcast. You go on iTunes podcast, Behind the Bima, any podcast player, Stitcher or any other podcast player, Behind the Bima, you could listen to us with a great intro and a great opening, a great closing. So um, we thank you for being with us. We thank all the people who weighed in and offered comments. We want you to keep the conversation going. It's a really important conversation. Tonight was a little heavy topic, even though we try to go light on Behind the Bima. But we thank you for being with us, and we can't wait to see you again next week. Our dear friends, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bima. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the Bima.